Hey everybody, this is Mark Vines and welcome to the Mark Vines Show. And this is your one-stop shop for everything having to do with conservatism, constitutionalism, and frankly, just the right way of living your life. And today we are going to be talking about some of the effects of the Evalde school shooting. And I'm not going to get into the specifics of the shooting itself because it's self-explanatory, just horrific, horrific situation out there in Texas. And wow, I just... It just baffles your mind to think that this could happen to all of those families out there, all of those children, and our hearts just go out to the people in Evalde, Texas, and Texas in general, and in the nation. I mean, this is just horrific. And the purpose of us even addressing this on the show today is not to get into the specifics of what could or could not have been done, but to look at really the the nation at large, and look at how are we addressing this and how are we going to use this to move forward to get better? Because there's an awful lot of talk and an awful lot of opinions. You know, we live in a day and age where every single person you know has an opinion about what ought to be done in situations like this. Very few people have uh, the facts to back it up or have a solution that is attainable, measurable, uh, and makes any sense. It's really just emotion-based reactions to uh, situations like this, and none of it is really going to help. And I want to address an, an aspect of this that you hear a few people talk about, but not a whole lot, and that is what is really going on behind this. And I do not believe, and I know many of you do not believe, that the problem is actually that there's too many guns that are out on the street. That's not that's not the issue, because after all, guns don't kill people. People kill people. People with guns end up killing people, right? But if they weren't killing people with guns, they would kill them with something else. There are many, many countries around the world where homicides are very high, but it's using knives or using some other instrument. You know, people are going to kill people if they want to. But at the end of the day, it's the people that are the, the problem, not the weapon itself. And this highlights the aspect that in this country, we do not address mental health issues. All of these mass shootings, what they all have in common is that the person involved, the perpetrator involved, and I'm not going to mention names because I don't want to give them credence, but they had serious mental health issues. And in some of the cases, the mental health issues were fairly well known to the people around them, to the family members, to the school, uh, the public. They knew that this person had a mental health issue. And in some cases, they were even referred for mental health uh, uh, treatment. Uh, you can even go back to the Virginia Tech shooting in, in 2003, and that was the case. It was known, it was even known to the counselors that this particular individual had the propensity for violence and even talked about going out and harming people, but yet nothing was done about it. You know, I was a police officer. Many of you know that. I was a local police officer here in Washington, D.C., and a very large proportion of the people that I dealt with on a day-to-day basis on the street had mental health issues. And we had to take them into custody when they got out of line, when they became dangerous to themselves or others. And in many cases, when we took them into custody, the safest thing, not only for the public, but for them as well, was to get them off the street and take them into custody. But police officers are not social workers, and they aren't psychologists. And there's 
really only one tool that we have, and that is to take them into custody. And like I said, many of them were better off in that situation. And oftentimes it was for their physical safety because if it was wintertime in Washington, D.C., as cold as it was, if these people stayed on the street, they likely would have died themselves. But the point is, our only option was that we could put them into jail. There was no treatment that we could do for them. Because, frankly, as a society, we don't care much about mental health issues. Because if we did, we wouldn't be doing some of the things that we're doing right now. And we don't emphasize it. We don't put money into it. We don't uh, support the organizations around the country that can support mental health. And, in fact, in many cases, we do quite the opposite. So let's address some of that. Let's address what's going on, I believe, sort of a big macro picture of what's going on in the in the world today. We have just gone through, oh, what is it, about two and a half years now of this COVID, just insanity, just insanity. Lockdowns, you can't go to work. You can drink, liquor stores are open. You can go to the gym, you can go to certain functions but you can't you know you couldn't go to work you can't uh work you can't go to school you can't be around people you we don't have that contact that people had before and along with that you have some uh, politicians that are talking about apocalyptic type scenarios for example um uh, alexandria ocasio-cortez uh, AOC has talked about how the world is going to end in nine years now imagine if you will that you are a young person and you get up every day and you hear the, the country's leaders talking about how the world is going to end, whether it's 12 years, 9 years, 6 years, whatever the case is going to be. And you hear this over and over and over. What is it that you're living for at that point? What does it matter? What does it matter what you're going to do if the world is going to end? That... You have to really let that sink in for a minute. There's no hope. You're not around your friends. You're not around your family. You're not around your church. If you're in a 12-step group, you can't go to your 12-step meetings, but you can do drugs, and you can just sit, and you can just think about how the world is going to end. And you become very depressed, and you become very disenchanted, and that's for the kids that are healthy and normal, quote-unquote. But what about the kids that already have a pre-existing mental health condition, like obviously these shooters did? You just ramped it up tenfold. And when they lose hope, then they go out and they commit acts of violence. I mean, after all, why wouldn't they? This is the worst time in history. They've been told that by our leaders. There's no hope. They're being told that by our leaders. So what are they left to do? So we don't have a mental health system that addresses these issues, and then we just have a constant stream, a constant feed of disinformation or information that is false, and information that makes it appear as though the world is going to end in their lifetime. You know, I, it was brought to my attention this weekend, it was really just brought to the fore, like how limited the view of many young people are. I had a young person say to me this weekend that, uh, and it was said it in the beginning kind of as a joke, but it became somewhat of a serious conversation. And this young person said to me, you know, uh, we, we blame your generation, meaning my generation, for the mess that the world is in. 
And this particular young person, um, she's in her, her 20s, early 20s, and she's working as a nurse. And she said, you know, you guys gave us the pandemic because it was your generation that created this. And then it was your generation that didn't plan for this. And then my entire profession um, has faced a crisis that has never faced before uh, in history. And I thought to myself, but wait a minute, what do you mean? It's this COVID as bad as it was. This is not even close to being the worst thing that this nation has ever faced. I mean, after all, and uh, during World War II, the entire nation had been mobilized for war, the entire nation. Then we had the First World War, uh, of course, and then we had the Civil War prior to that, Korea, Vietnam. We had the Spanish influenza or the flu pandemic in 1919, which killed 20 million people. In fact, that pandemic killed more people than World War I had killed in the previous or the four years previous to that. These were horrific times, and the entire nation had to be involved in some of these situations. But yet this person told me that COVID was the worst thing that we had ever faced. That sounds silly, and it's an outright, but if you think about it, what is her worldview? Her worldview is what has happened since she has been born. And I think that that's one of the problems that we have, is that kids today think that history began when they were born, when, of course, that's not true. And we have had horrific things happen in world history prior to this period, okay? And they are led to believe that COVID was the worst thing that's happened even in the last two or three years. There was a study today that was brought out, and I'm going to go into further detail in this study in, in the coming weeks, but deaths from addiction issues surpassed deaths from COVID, Listen to what I just said. Deaths from addiction during the COVID period surpassed deaths from actual COVID. But she didn't know that. Nobody knows that. And this might be the first time you're hearing that because the media doesn't cover it. So you have these young people that think that the period in which they're living is the worst in world history. And then couple that with, we have nine years before the world collapses and the world ends because that's what AOC and the other congressional leaders are telling them, and they lose hope. And we don't have the mental health capacity to, to deal with that. And by the way, even if we did, there is such a stigma associated with mental health issues that many of these kids would be unlikely to seek out help even if they wanted to, uh, if others wanted to. Now, let's switch over to the police. What have we been doing to the police for the last two or three years? We've been attacking them. We've been beating them up. All cops are bad. If you're a police officer, you're obviously racist. You obviously don't care about people. That's the message that we as a nation have been putting out to our, our police officers in particular and first responders in general. We've been attacking them and attacking them and attacking them. The morale is just horrible nationwide in the police departments. And we as a country are to blame for that because we have allowed that to happen. We have allowed the police to become the enemy. And then we wonder why people are leaving police departments, why we can't get young people recruited to serve as police officers. I actually don't know any young people that want to go into police work today. And then you have something that happens like what happened in Evalde, and then we attack them again. You know, there's a news report that came out today that the officers that were there waiting to go in 
to the classroom to take this shooter out. And they had been sitting there for the better part of about 45 minutes before they went in. We are finding out now that they were told to not go in. That they were told not to go in by a tactical commander. Now, that's a horrible decision. But what happens? The country now is attacking the police officers for not doing that. Now, you have to understand that in the military and paramilitary organizations, which a police department is, it's a paramilitary organization, you follow orders. You take orders from a commander. You can't have police officers just show up on a scene and all of them do whatever the heck they want to do. They're working off of information that they have. They work off the intelligence that they have. They, they make their best guesses, educated guess, uh, guesses, etc., etc. But they are not working independently. They have to follow the command. So all of these police officers now are being tarred and feathered because of a decision that was made by a tactical commander. Now, we want to find out. We certainly want to find out what led to that decision and why that happened. And we want to take the steps to make sure that that never happens again. But please don't blame each one of those individual officers for what happened because it is not their fault. But we're in this mode where, you know, if police officers take action, we attack them. If, we, if they don't take action, then we attack them. And that is just something that we cannot continue to do to our police forces because as the Evalde shooting shows us, when we need the police officers, we need them. And we can't have them be used as punching bags every step of the way before we need them. We need to find out what happened, and let's do that. But please, let's stop attacking the police departments. Now, you do have to remember now that uh, this is not television. You know, I know you can watch a, a police show, and uh, everything works like clockwork, you know, and you have every piece of an imaginable uh, technology available to the police department to track everything. That's not reality. That's not it just isn't the way that it is. And when you're out in a region like Evalde, which is out uh, in Texas, and it's not this is not a metropolitan area. This is not NYPD, LAPD. It, it's you're, you're dealing with uh, local police departments. You're dealing with the DPS, which is the state police in Texas. You had some border patrol, which we've been beating the hell out of lately, haven't we? All out there, all armed, right? Even though guns are bad, but they're armed with guns, and now you want guns. And when they don't respond the way that we think that they should respond, then we attack them. And we're putting a lot of expectations on these smaller departments that may not have the training as a, uh, an NYPD, the FBI, or some of these other departments. And they do the best that they can. And it's just tragic that it happened this way. Because we did not need to have another black eye for police officers. We just did not need that. It's not helpful for us. It's not helpful for them. And it's just tragic. But please, 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 let's stop attacking these people. And the media was just so quick to judge the police in this. We need to stop jumping on the police as fast as we can. Now, the other problem that we have, which is typical of Washington politics, is that this became a political issue right off the bat. This was used by the Biden administration to attack guns, to attack the police, and to pit people against one another. And that's a shame because this was a crime that was perpetuated by one individual. They clearly had mental health issues. There was no political agenda here. There was no anything other than just he was upset 
it, whatever it was. And if you've been a police officer, you understand there are many, many people out there walking around in public today that really have no business walking around unsupervised because they need to be institutionalized somewhere. I've seen it. I've dealt with it firsthand. And they're out there. And many of the people that are listening to this podcast uh, don't understand that if you knew what was walking around there unsupervised in, in your, your own community, it'd probably scare the hell out of you. And that's what it is. It's these individuals that don't have political agendas. They just have mental health issues. And they go out and they commit a crime like this. And then the politicians come in and they use this to divide the nation, to pit groups against one another. Pit us against one another. And that feeds into our young people thinking that there's no hope for this nation. And we've got to stop doing that. What we have to have are politicians that understand that the security of our people in the United States is, or at least should be, the number one priority. If I was ever in an elected office, my number one priority, number one priority, ahead of everything else, would be the security of the people that I was representing. And we've lost that. And now what does the security mean? Well, as you can see, this was a period where People with guns put an end to the guy with a gun. And to think that we are, you know, do you realize that there are more guns in the United States than people in the United States? So even if you were to to put out a, a, a wave a magic wand and say, all right, we're not going to sell one more gun in this country. If we were to do that today, now that's not going to happen, but let's just play along with that and say, if that were to happen, we still have more guns out there than people. So what are we going to do? go collect all these guns? Really? And who's going to do that? You're going to go door to door and collect guns? Excuse me, sir, I understand that you have 10 registered firearms here that you bought legally and you've not committed any crimes that would uh, lead us to have to take these guns away from you, but we'd like you to willingly turn all these guns over to us. You really think that's going to happen? Again, emotions, not facts, are driving their narrative right now. Emotions, not facts. We are not going to get all these guns off the streets. And that's a whole other debate whether you even should do that. But again, even if you were to do it, it's it's not realistic. It's not safe. There's <laughs> You would have just such a backlash in this country. So what is the solution? One solution that I would propose is that we do, in fact, have uh, armed guards, armed people at every single school in the United States. We have plenty of people that can do it. We have people that have had the training to do it and people that are willing to do it, and you can pay them. We have veterans. We have retired police officers. We have uh, retired FBI agents. We have uh, all kinds of federal agents, not just FBI, but all kinds of federal agents that have had years of training. I'm one of those people that have had years of training, and you can utilize them to protect the children at schools, but we won't do that. In fact, what's happened over the last couple of years, the last couple of years, there was a push to remove all police officers from schools. What a horrible idea that is. But if you were to believe that somebody was armed in a school and you came in with a gun, you may think twice about it. After all, the Buffalo shooting, I'm going to point out that that community in that area that he went to, he chose it specifically because he believed that the people would not be armed because it was in New York and he knew that community had a reputation of not being, not being armed. And New York is a very, very strict gun control state. So that's why he picked it. Now, 
On the flip side, there are many communities in the United States where it's pretty well known that the people in that community carry weapons. And if you thought that you were going to go into a community where, or into a home or into a school and there was a very good chance that you were going to encounter someone that was armed, then just maybe you'll think twice about it. And even if you were to try to commit that crime, there's a good chance that you could be stopped before you could, or at least limit the number of people that were killed. So we need to make the security of our people the number one priority and do it based on facts and reality and not emotion. We've seen enough emotions over the last two or three years, and we've seen the damage that that has done. And I think that we need to put an end to that and get back into reality. So, guys, with that, just a few thoughts for today. And I just wanted to share that with you again. This is Mark Vines. Spread this podcast far and wide to all of your friends, even your liberal friends. In fact, maybe make them a priority. And, folks, just keep your head up. We're going to get through this. You know, this is an interesting time to live in. But we can do it. As a people, we can make our nation stronger. And that's what we plan on doing here. We'll talk to you next time.